What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Eastern Current. I think this is episode 27, and this is the first episode without the uh, the supervision of, of Billy, the tech, the tech whiz. And so hopefully everything's moving smoothly. If y'all can't hear me or hear us or anything like that, or if anything hot happens on here, let us know because I'm, I'm trying my best to make sure I've been doing a lot of practicing. Billy came over here last night and really helped me dive in, but I'm going to do my best. I'm going to take this gum out first, actually. <laughs> And do my best to uh, to keep things running smoothly. But we're excited about tonight's show. We got Captain Jod Owens on. We're going to introduce him here in just a second and, and bring him on camera. But first, we're going to do the uh, – don't get too excited yet, Jod. So he's not in here yet. He's, he's running late. We're just buying him some time. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we're going to talk about um, striper fishing in general, but with a focus on the Cape Fear River here and some of these river estuaries in North Carolina that you can target striper in. Um, but – yeah, Cameron, how you feeling, man? First, uh, feeling good. First show, just you and me. We're excited. Yeah. We miss you, Billy, but we're excited to uh, to to take things and and keep running with it. But um, yeah. So let's do uh, let's do the little uh, sponsor shout out real quick. Forget the whole flow of this. <laughs> but um, I just want to thank uh, some guys that have really helped us with the co promoting of this and companies that we're real real connected with. And first and foremost, it's I Strike Fishing. Um, Dave and Ralph over there are just awesome dudes have some great products and they're always, I mean, he's texting me every, he's like, Hey, send me the picture so I can post it. I want to help y'all out. And he's just a, he's a great dude. And, um, just excited to, to, uh, be working with them. AFCO and, uh, and Marshware, two clothing companies that, that we work with. And they've given us a lot of stuff to give away. They also co-promote a lot. Um, CT custom lures is a, is a great dude in town that ties, uh, custom flies and custom lures. Hold on you guys. Here's the first mix up. Is that my phone over there? Yeah. On there. Will you will you sneak around there and press? Oh, I thought I put it on Do Not Disturb. <laughs> Adam De Bruin is calling me. He probably knows I'm live and uh, wants to. So if you swipe up from the bottom, you can pop it out of there too if you need to, Jot. And press that little moon. If you swipe up from the bottom, and you can have the the Do Not Disturb moon. Oh yeah. Do you see it? It's not gonna let me do it. If you need to lift the top of that little little grasp up, and you can slide the phone out. There you go. It just lifts up. It's on like a spring. There we go. Switch the oh, camera. there we go. Yeah, we'll switch the camera real quick. Oh, cool. And then we'll do this one right here. Boom. Here we are. <laughs> I thought I'd put on Do Not Disturb. But yeah, so so uh, Aftco and Marshware, great clothing companies. If you haven't checked them out, definitely go check them out. And Seto uh, is our other one. Seto, if you get in a bad spot on the water, it's nice to uh, to have them to come pick you up, drag you off a sandbar, do whatever you need to do. You got it? To bring it back. Oh, click the uh, little camera app. See the little camera right there? Shoot. Shoot. Yep, yeah. that's it. Cool. Jot's helping us out. There we go. We're dialed. It was on Do Not Disturb, by the way. It was? It was. That's, yeah. Hey, so yeah, it wasn't so my fault. Back on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's see. There we go. We're back. We're, we're live. Adam DeBruin, I hate you, but we're going to bring <laughs> you back on the podcast sometime to tell some more client poop stories. Um, but, yeah, so Cameron, let's, uh, let's introduce Jot Owens here. I'll let you do that. Yeah, sure. I guess all you got to do is say, here's Jot Owens. <laughs> yeah, here's Jot. I'm a little flustered right now. So Jot Owens, there he is, everybody. Good evening. Good evening. How's it going? I can't complain. It's 72 degrees today. Tomorrow's high is 44. <laughs> Welcome to North Carolina. <laughs> to North Carolina. I enjoyed today. I took advantage of today on the boat. For sure. <laughs> did you go fishing today? I did not. Today was maintenance day on the boat. There you go. I, I, I wish I was fishing, but... It's the time of year. If you got a day, you got to got to do it. It was a little windy. Sometimes maintenance day, if you've got the a nice cold beer and you know the weather's just right, it can be almost just as fun as fishing. I feel. Oh, like. I had the music on. I was, yeah. I, was, I got a lot out. done. It yeah. was it was a productive day. Awesome. <laughs> 
Awesome, awesome. Well, yeah, so, so we're going to be talking, uh, like we said, Striper with Jot tonight. And so we're just excited to uh, – do not disturb my phone does not work, by the way. So sorry if you have any pop-ups on here. Um, I'm going to just start using this other camera. But, yeah, we're, Cameron's got some questions. And if you all have any questions, just fire them. But we're going to get started with Jot here and just, uh, just get going. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll do this one right here. Yeah, yeah. So um, tell us a little bit about your history, how you got into striper fishing. Um, well, I've lived here my whole life. Um, I've uh, been in the fishing industry my entire working life, or, um, in the industry, a little over 26 years. Um, I've been guiding now for, uh, it'll be 21 years in February. Um, and, you know, the river's one of those places when I was younger. I, I, f- I fished it with some friends, uh, striper fish from time to time little cat fishing, but it, I didn't do it a lot. I, I went to the river in the wintertime when, when, you know, fishing wasn't that good, um, per se at the beach. And, uh, it, uh, it, it was, it's, it, to me, it was like a dark and mysterious place. It's so different, it's, mm-hmm. you know, high current, deep water, um, just real different, you know, lots of logs to run yeah, into. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. And so it's, it's so different than what it was, um, just, you know, five miles away at the beach, you know, uh, so I liked it. And, and, I, and I, I went quite a bit as, as a child. Me and my dad would go fishing and, and go with friends and catch some stripers and catfish. And then I kind of got away from it. And I was, I was saltwater fishing. I commercial fished for a while. I worked on, on some offshore charter boats for quite a while. I was a mate uh, and worked towards my captain's license, got my captain's license. Uh, and, so, and, and then so probably about the last, I'd say about 15 years, 15, 16 years, maybe 16 years this year, um, I've been really fishing the river hard. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, every winter, uh, multiple days, every week. And, uh, and, and it's, uh, it's been, um, it's not easy to catch fish down there. It's not, I mean, I won't, I won't lie to you. You know, you have really good days. Um, but there are days where everything seems like it's just right. And you cast and cast and cast and you can't get a bump. Um, but there's some things we'll talk about tonight that we'll, I, I will, we'll, I'll lay out for you that make a big difference. And I've learned now when I get down there, I can kind of tell you if I'm gonna have a good day or a bad day by some of the different things I look for in the water that tell me if they're going to bite or not. And, and for me, that's, that's a big thing. Cause these fish, they, they are really, they're really particular on conditions. They really are particular on some conditions, like unlike some other fish. Hmm. So did you say more so than trout? They're particular on conditions. Yeah, they really? are. Yeah. I would say overall, yes. Trout have their times where they get more particular, especially when it gets colder Yeah, and the stripers will follow the same suit. But even when it's warmer and that striper bites really good, when those water temperatures are a little warmer, um, they can they can cut right off if if these if certain conditions don't aren't as good. Yeah. And it, I've seen that a lot. You know, yeah. not to say you can't catch them, but I can get down there usually when I get to the boat ramp and I'm going to the river with my customers and looking at the water quality, um, especially the water quality, how the water's moving or the water looks, and I'm going, I'm thinking, eh, it's not going to be that good of a day, or yeah. and it's going to be a good day. Yeah. It, it follows that suit very closely for me. I think right that's a good transition into like what what are the certain types of elements that you're looking for. Uh, for, for a good tri- uh, striper spot. Uh, well, striper spot or conditions? Conditions. Conditions. All right. Well, conditions for me are as are, is, is they, I mean, they'll, they're a fair weather fish. They like a bluebird sunny day. And not a lot of fish do. But for it seems like these fish in the river, they really like those sunny days. Sunnier days seem to be a little bit better than cloudier days. Um, lighter winds, but that's more of us having to fight the wind and the current. So I like lighter winds, bluebird days, and I want that water to have some clarity to it. Now, it's a high I, pressure. 
yeah, high pressure on the backside of, the not backside necessarily, of high pressure. yeah, you know, which good fishing, but where your winds aren't that heavy yet. Um, but, but clarity of water. Now the water's brown. It's not clear. Right. But when that water's got that dark tannic black look to it, which is really clear water, you yeah. drop your lure and like you can a stained see color, like a, tea. yeah, yeah. When it's got that deep black, that's when they like to bite. You start yeah. getting some of that creamer and that coffee. And that, you put that lure in the water, and it's harder to see. Yeah, I still catch them, but, man, it gets nice, tough. Yeah. Man, it gets tough when that water gets dirty. And in the wintertime here, we get a lot of wind and a lot of rain. Yeah, yeah. Luckily, that river has high flow, so it cleans up pretty quickly. And usually when the three or four days is back, on lower tides, sometimes you'll see prettier water. Sometimes you'll need that water from the ocean to come up on a high tide. Maybe it depends on where the dirty water is. If Raleigh, Fayetteville, Inland gets a lot of rain, sometimes into that fall it'll be dirtier where we'll start getting a rising tide or bring that ocean water up. The ocean water will be a little clearer, so you'll get a little better bite. Mm. If it's been really still and had had much rain, typically the, the, the falling tide is a little better because it brings that black tannic water, which is right. the clear water down, and the bite's a little better. You kind of got to watch it. It's, it's one of those things that's literally a daily change sometimes. For I mean, sure. a day between the weather, the wind, and everything. So how do you, uh, you know, say you have clients coming in town that really want a striper fish. How are you forecasting this? Well, I, I will typically, you know, it, for me, it's 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 a number one, it's going to be tide. Number two, it's going to be the weather, mm-hmm. uh, and also it can be the temperature. You know, if it's if it's going to be in the teens in the morning and breezy, I'm probably not going to bring my customers out in that. I might go out in that, but understand that you know I'm, I'm in the customer service industry, yeah. um, so we might bump it back a little bit. The good thing is about these fish is they'll bite in the middle of the day. I yeah. mean, they, they they are not particular to a morning or afternoon bite. Now, you know, and sometimes in November, early December, when the water's still mild. Yeah, that top water bite can be great early in the morning. They they like that low light for the top water. But once it gets colder and they seem to push down a little bit, and not they're not as aggressive on the top water. I don't mind going later in the day and looking for those those more comfortable conditions for us because mm-hmm. yeah. it's it's a long day of casting. And if it's cold, you know you, you get complacent after 30, 40 casts. The customer, <laughs> you see the rod go thump and they don't even react. And they look at me and said, "I had a bite." And I said, "I saw that. Why didn't you set the hook?" Oh, that's my least they favorite have, thing because they haven't gotten a bite in thirty casts and they become complacent. <laughs> right. so you got to every cast. You got to be on on focus. I mean, yeah. You do because it could that thump could come along for yeah. sure. So it seems like winter is the best time to fish for stripers around here. Well, I tell you, you know, I talk to a lot of people that do it, that fish year round for these fish. And, and I'll give you a very uh, dumbed down cycle of these fish of, of where they go. And, and what we found from, from tagging studies and from fish, from people fishing is that typically these fish in the summer months are everywhere. They just spread out. They go upriver. They go downriver. Yeah. They're downtown. They're all down snows cut, even to Southport. They're up the river um, to one and two dam, lock and dam. They're way up the northeast. The bass fishermen are catching them up the rivers and bass tournaments. The trout fishermen and flounder fishermen are catching them in the river. They're spread out. And then you start getting in the fall, and it seems like they start concentrating uh, down lower in, in the in the river, especially around downtown Wilmington in that area. Why? We, we don't know why, but we're, we're, we're hoping with tagging studies in the future, we're going to find out why they like downtown. But they seem to congregate in downtown Wilmington, down in that lower part of the river. And then as spring comes along, typically sometime in mid-April um, to late April, early May, they start making their spawning run and running up river. Now, does this mean all the fish do it? No, it does not. But it seems like a lot of the bigger fish will start heading up the river um, late April and early May um, for, a, for a spawning run. Uh, and we'll and we'll notice that by tagging studies, we've watched these fish just literally late April and May, just watching the, the listening stations. Um, these fish are tagged with, with sonic tags, and so when they go by, the listening station picks up the information. That stuff gets downloaded once a month, and every time a, a, a tag passes by, the number, the date, and the time is put down. And you put this together in a map, and late April, we may start shooting up river. 
Then they kind of turn over, and we're in spring. They start spreading out again. The cycle turns over again, and they start they start hunkering down for downtown. So for me as a guide or an angler, a winter fishery, these fish don't mind it being being colder. And I found that typically when it gets not that it gets too cold to catch speckled trout, but when it gets harder to catch speckled trout, um, I will switch over to striper fishing mm-hmm. because they will they will bite on to those little water temperatures a little better than the trout will. Um, so it's it's you know it's instant gratification. It's catching all these fishery, but man, even a two pound striper on light tackle, they fight like redfish. Oh yeah, you they know, fight they, hard. They, they, they're a lot of fun. In so, current and deep water. Yeah, too, yeah, so. yeah. So it's they, they fight really good, and I mean it can be you know you can catch a, a, a oh, we've caught fourteen inch fish. And we've caught fish all the way up to close to 30 pounds. And so you never, that thump goes, you set the hook, and it's either, oh, it's a small one, or whoa. So it's just a lot of fun. It kind of breaks up the monotony around here. Um, for me, the best fishing is typically December um, to somewhere in mid to late January. Mm-hmm. Then when the water gets down, usually when the water starts getting down into the mid to lower 40s, the fishing gets tougher. Now, you can catch them. And if we have a mild winter, I've had phenomenal Februarys. But typically, your November, especially December to mid-January is good. And then mid, early to mid-March, sometimes later March if it stays cool, to late April. And then late April, it, it like it's like a light switch. It almost they cuts off. Spread they, sp- they start going on their spawning run. Yeah. You still catch smaller fish. But I've been in, in, in early April where it was really good, really good, really good. We'll have a little bit warmer weather. Water temperature come up to Greece, and I'll go again and only catch one or two. Yeah. And then I'll talk to the people at the state. They're like, "Oh yeah, they started making their run," and like they start picking <laughs> them on the list on the listening stations. They're making their move. So it, it really correlates to that. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah. That's so, a good. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. I was saying that's a good connection to have. I remember after college, one of my buddies was a marine biology major, got a uh, job tagging fish, and so I would call him when I was going striper fishing. I was like, "Hey man, where'd y'all roll some fish when you're shocking last week?" That's it, and yeah. then then be able to go and I mean, honestly, it really never paid off, but it felt really good. Like I, I don't know, maybe the fish leave after that. But well, at least you know they're there or not. They yeah, might not exactly. be biting. I mean, you know, but at least you know they're there. Exactly. <laughs> so we had a good question here um, that kind of leads into still talking about the similar, but it says obviously nothing specific. But how far up the river do you fish? I.e., Southport, Snows Cut, south of Wilmington, north of Wilmington. Which kind of leads us into the whole idea of like, what are you looking for for these fish? Yeah, like, what's yeah. their holding water? Like, what? Where are you targeting these fish? Yeah. Exact well, spots and GPS coordinates. No problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll get right on that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I will tell you, far as distance goes, and, and 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 I know that they're everywhere in the summertime. I don't fish for them much. I yeah. have gone a few in the in May a couple times um, as our season starts to roll over charter fishing. I've had some really good days on top water in May. But that's rare for me because usually by May yeah. I'm down at the beach fishing for drum and trout and flounder and yeah. stuff like that. Whatever's open at that time. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but for me the wintertime downtown fishery. If let's say I just put I'll just put you know a, a pin on the the battleship. Usually I'm fishing about two or three miles downriver from there. Uh, the Brunswick River, the Brunswick River Point, yep. um, the big power lines down you know heading on down mm-hmm. south of uh, of the the port. That I don't go much further than that. Now are they down there a little further? Probably. What's the further south you've caught them? Uh, well, I mean, in, in, in summer months, you know, down the river, I've called them all the way down to, to, to Buzzards Bay and stuff. Yeah, yeah, but really. but they're summer months, and that's where right. they spread out. Wintertime, I think the furthest I've called on a regular basis has probably been south of the port. Okay. In in that, you know, in the power line range area. Yep. Uh, that's on a regular basis. But I don't go down much further than that. You yeah. know, I kind of fish areas that I know and I like and I'm comfortable with. You know, it's, that's a lot to do with fishing. Be, you know, right. Be, be confident in where you fish. And then up the Northeast Cape Fear, um, I will fish on a regular basis up to about Castle Hain, a lot of the Turkey Creek mouth, those creeks, all those big creeks there. Yep. Are they higher than that? They absolutely are. I talk to locals all the time. So for me, you know, it's probably four or five miles up the Cape uh, Northeast, 
mm-hmm. and probably two or three miles up the northeast. Okay. The only reason I'll go further up the northeast is because sometimes we have big tides. The uh, the, the bridge on that side is really low to the water. Yeah. Coming at the uh, the intersection of the Brunswick and the, and the uh, Cape Fear. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to get stuck. <laughs> so if I, let's say it's the start of a fall. And the tide's down enough and get under that bridge, I will go on up and fish. And there's some really good fishing up the Cape Fear from there. It just depends on conditions. Right. Also, you got to think about this too is sometimes the Northeast is dirty, sometimes the Cape Fear is dirty. That can make a decision for me on where I fish. I'm going to go where the prettier water is. And typically, when I'm heading up the river from the bow ramp, I get the Point Peter, I can look at the water right there. And if there's a nasty stain line and it's coffee, the cream on one side and, and sweet tea clear on the other, yeah. I'm going to fish sweet tea. If it's perfect, <laughs> I might just go, hey, where did I fish last time? Had luck, kind of go from there. You know, yeah. depends on tide and stuff. So finding that clean water is clean key. water is so important. Yeah. It really is. You yeah. know, even if you find a a, a thread or, or a seam or a vein of it somewhere, that yeah. can make a difference sometimes. Definitely. And there's a lot of little drainages even. Like you can start hunting around and finding and, smaller creeks that are coming in that might be a little cleaner. And sometimes they are. Sometimes yeah. the little creeks are because a lot of that prettier water stays up in them because they get it gets just the time as that pretty water gets out, the tide changes and pushes the pretty water, that same pretty water. You think it wouldn't work you think it'd cut off but the way it, the river runs and the water moves i've seen it where that pretty water comes down and it goes right back up in that creek and i've been f- chasing it up a creek staying in the prettier water catching stripers yeah. until finally all right it's dead high tide i, yeah. I gotta go you know so it, it yeah clean water is is one of the more important uh scenarios for sure for, for sure fish. yeah so saying you've got clean water everywhere mm-hmm. let's talk about spots let's talk about what are you looking for if you've got a, a, all the conditions are perfect now it just comes down to what what kind of stuff am i fishing what, yeah. what do you look for as far as that goes well th- and this is gonna sound just repetitive as heck but the everywhere i mean <laughs> i mean i've caught these fish in places once and i never called them there again and i've gone to places before just covering an area when i was fun fishing and caught fish i never had before um Number one thing I can tell you is you got cover, more area you cover, the more fish you're going to catch because it's not they're not the easiest fish in the world to catch. And striped bass in general, people don't, a lot of people don't know this because we're used to them catching them in salt water and clear water. But striped bass in general have pretty poor eyesight. So take that and put it in dirty, stained, deeper water. Yeah. Even tannic water, let's say it's clear, but it's tannic and dark. The sunlight's not getting down very far. You got to almost hit them in the head. Yeah. And so covering more area, I mean, literally, and we'll talk about the lures and how to work them and stuff, but covering more area is going to be important. Number two, I can tell you is they're very funny about angle. And this is a lot, a lot of anglers, you mm. probably know, probably, probably know this, but a lot of anglers don't understand this. And I see this all the time is they'll go to a creek mouth. Creek mouths are great. Creek mouths are good for everything. Creek mouths are great for striped fishing. I fish a lot of creek mouths or stump fields or drop-offs, but Fishing it at angle. If I get to a creek mouth, let's say the mic here is a creek mouth, and my boat's out here and I'm casting towards it, some people go up, anglers will go up, just cast right there, no bites, and move on. Uh uh-uh. uh. You're going to cast at every angle at that creek mouth until you, until you get done because I'm telling you, I've cast at this angle for five or six or ten casts, no bites, come over here, first cast, same spot landing, but come at a different angle, bam, get a bite. Like it happens it. all the time. And I think because of their poor eyesight, that it's 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 presented to them. They're seeing it. They're feeling it. They're hearing it better. It's it's in their face. Yeah. And before maybe because yeah. you know fish don't like something to come up from behind them. No. So depending on their angle, how they're sitting, for some reason, changing the angle and casting makes huge difference in getting these bites. So that's why covering that area. You know, I'm not going to spend an hour at a creek mouth, but if I get a few bites, I'm going to keep throwing at that creek mouth and changing my angle until I stop getting bites. But I'm going to swing past those stumps or a drop off or a creek mouth and hit it at every angle before I move on to the next place because it makes a big difference. Tell me how many times we've been drifting down a bank hitting creek mouse and we'll be past a creek mouth we were just fishing with customers. No bites. And I'll tell a customer, hey, sling back at that creek again. Right? Almost out of cat. They'll sling back. 
boom, first cast. Yeah. Casting back there, we cast it 20 times and then get a bite. But as soon as we change the angle at a, at a, at a, at a good degree, yeah. you get a bite. And that, it really makes a difference. That's good information. I mean, right it, there. it really does. And I found that they usually are sitting on the ledges and drop offs, whether the ledge is one foot underwater or 10 foot underwater. And so it, it, a lot of times you'll feel these lures rubbing the bottom. And as soon as it's not rubbing anymore, boom. Yeah. You get a bite. Yeah. And I think what it does is it falls off that ledge or comes off that ledge and they're sitting there waiting um, and they hit it and it makes a big difference. So, um, you know, we'll talk about lures again in a little while about, about how to work them, but low and slow and, 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 and making sure you're covering a lot of area. Cast, cast, cast. I mean, and every cast is important because if you're not, even if you're not getting bites, be ready because I'm telling you, they'll thump this thing once, twice. They'll thump a lure once or twice. And if you don't get them, if you're not ready for it to set that hook, I've seen so many customers get just whacked and they'll just, They'll just jump a little bit because they've casted 30 or 40 times and didn't get any bites and they weren't ready for it. So, I mean, literally, you get nerves of steel. Any cast can be a bite. Yeah, sure. yeah. You know, you're, on, you're, on, you're on guard when you're getting a lot of bites. But when you're not getting on bites, that's when you get that thump and you try and you think to yourself, I should have set the hook. Yeah. <laughs> We're all guilty of it. We're oh, definitely. Definitely. It's, it's, it, does, it is always a little frustrating, though, when they're like, oh, that was a bite. And then nothing, nothing, no rod was swung, nothing. No, uh, like, oh. no, no. Now you know what it feels like. Now Especially on a slow day. Oh, yeah, yeah because <laughs> then you're like, oh, you can't do that very Yeah, often. you're, you're you counting that. you're counting the bites that weren't, that weren't uh, fish. Um, you have any more questions there about spots there, Cameron? No, no. I think, I think um, let's talk about tactics. Okay. Um, because I always hear about uh, a lot of people trolling for mm-hmm. striper. Absolutely. So that's the thing. Yeah, no, no. Trolling form, trolling form works. I, I will not lie to you. Trolling form works. What I prefer to do is if I'm at a, a creek mouth or somewhere, if I have younger kids on the boat or people that can't cast that well who are, who are going to react when that fish bites. So I'm telling you, when, they, when you're casting, they thump it. You got to hit them like a largemouth bass or a yeah. redfish. Mm-hmm. You can jerk as fast and hard as you want to. They have... I mean, they call them rockfish. I think they call them rockfish because their mouth is hard as a rock. Yeah. I'm telling you, you can hit them as hard as you want to. Sharp hooks are important. But if I have kids on the boat or people that don't fish very often, and I, I really think that they're not going to react, we're going to we're just we're not going to catch fish because they're not they're not they're not filling the bite or they're not setting the hook on the bite. Then I will troll. If not, I will troll sometimes to find the fish at a creek mouth or something like that, and then I'll start casting. But most of the time, either it's going to be a trolling trip. Or it's going to be a cast and trip, yeah. depending on my customers mm-hmm. and how they're going to fish. I would much rather, much rather go casting. There's sure. nothing better than filling that thump. I mean, and setting the hook. I mean, yeah. it's just it's like a trout thump on steroids. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's kind of like it's even heavier than a drum. I mean, a, you know, a trout's got a tick, a drum's got a thump. This is like a boom. I mean, yeah. it's really heavy, but it's quick. I mean, if you don't set the hook, they're not they're not going to hold on. They so hit it, and that's it. Are, are you trolling? Uh... Like deep divers, or are you trying to paddle? Like just no, paddle I, I, I use like crankbaits. Usually, like crankbaits are anywhere from six to twelve feet, uh-huh. um, and I want them close to the bottom, and they can rub the bottom sometimes. But if they constantly rub the bottom, you're hanging. You're going. going to lose them. This thing about differences is, I lose. I fish the river probably if I put the whole season together, maybe fifteen percent of my season, maybe mm-hmm. twenty, but probably more like fifteen percent of my season. Yeah. And I lose like 70% of my lures during the 15% if I took the whole season <laughs> yeah. because it's timber. At the beach, it's grass and oyster rocks. You get your stuff back from that a lot. Yeah. You know, it's timber in deep, dark water. And when you hook a hook into, 
in, in the wood, you don't get it back. Yeah, and soft edge to that wood, a sharp hook, it's, it, go, it's it, going it, and, and then it, most of the time it's cypress, so it's soft on the outside edge, but it's really hard on the end, and it, right. it doesn't break it's off. It's not coming out. You, you, yeah. you, I mean, it'll lose so much tackle. So when we're trolling, is I will use those uh, crankbaits, um, that, you know, bass crankbaits, you know, do a little short. And I found that shorter ones get hung up less than the longer ones. Longer baits. Those hooks kind of stick up a little bit better. Yeah, the longer ones, seem, and they're made to roll off stuff where those deeper, those bigger, longer lures are made for salt water, they're made for open water. Um, you catch fish on them, but ooh, boy, they get hung up a lot. Yeah. So if they rub the bottom once in a while, it's fine. But if they're constantly, you see them rubbing, but the rod tip bumping, I'm telling you, there's a lot of times it starts doing it. If it doesn't more than five or six seconds, you can count the 10 that's going to get hung up. <laughs> I'm telling you, it is. And you're like, there's no, even, you know, there's no such thing as a cheap crankbait that works. No. They're eight to $15 or more. Right. Um, so I'll use like crankbaits like that. Um, soft crankbait plastic bills with, with rolls um so they, they they're a little bit they give a little bit they can hit the bottom some the hooks aren't rubbing it, but if you keep on what happens is it finally catches and it lays those hooks down and when it catches and lays them down and i'm it's telling not. you i've drove the boat around in circles and yanking and pulling and everything and yeah. typically you might come back with a split ring or a broken bill but right. that's the best you come back yeah with. so is there i was so curious to talk to you about this because the times that i've fished the river i've probably lost every time maybe 20 lures, <laughs> 15 to 20. Is there any way, what, what are the ways to minimize how many lures you're Well, if you're using, using, I mean, and don't get wrong, I will, I will sometimes cast crankbaits as well. Um, mm-hmm. The problem is with crankbaits is that, you know, crankbait, most bass crankbaits float. They don't go to depth until you start reeling them, and they don't get a depth for probably about five or six seconds or longer. So for me, if I'm casting somewhere, if I'm casting soft plastic and throw it out there, I can count down, and it's sinking down and then I can start working it slowly. And, you know, my favorite is, is it going to be a swim bait just like this, um, you know, weedless. Um, but the great thing is, is when it's swimming, you know, it's rubbing the bottom like this. The hook is nowhere close to any hangs. Now, yeah. now here's very important. You can't stop fishing it. There's no jerking or jigging. You're just slow rolling, just mm-hmm. slowly, almost as slow as you can reel. It's going to rub the bottom. That's fine. But it's going to rub the bottom like this. Now, yeah. if, you, if you stop and let it sit, it's going to sit on its side. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, it's really bad. Customer catches a fish. Other customer sits rod and rod hold with one of these on the on the bottom. Takes some photos. Comes back. Ninety nine percent of the time, it's hung up because it's been sitting out there as the boat's been moving like this, rubbing on the edge, and it finally finds something and gets hung up. Yeah. So, when so you, you don't you don't leave your lure in the water. You, I just, I have so many times, and if it doesn't find the bottom, and I'm cleaning up like I'm reeling all this stuff. I'm like no, no no no, don't leave it out there. <laughs> so when you're throwing these. Uh, you're just working it really slow in the bottom, not even jigging it, just slowing no, it. No, jigging it, reeling it up, because when really you jig slow. it, it's going to turn all different directions. Yeah. It's going to find something. So it's down low and, tw- and and rolling slow. And I like a big old paddle tail because this thing does like this, but it also vibrates like this. So it's putting out a lot of va- vibration, anything. Um, there's some hook companies out there that make little spinners on them. Those were good too, but your hook price goes up steeply as yeah. soon as you put a metal spinner on there. It so does. it's the kind of scenarios... Maybe if the water's a little more stained or dirty, you might want to go some go to something that's got a spinner on it or some kind of something that makes a little For more sure. noise. Uh, rattle traps work great, but Lordy, if you look at a piece of wood with a rattle trap, you're getting hung up and you're going <laughs> to oh, lose yeah. it. I mean, they work though. All that vibration, there's something to that vibration with Definitely. them having um, you know poor eyesight that works because the go-to in that river for years, all the old timers, was a rattle trap. Yeah. The problem is is I have small fortune rattle traps in that river now. Do I still use them and cast them? I do. Yeah. But you just, you got to be real careful and know the depth you're fishing. And when you throw that thing out there, that you immediately start reeling. And if you want to get it down some, you know that you knock a second off that drop before it gets to the bottom. Because there have been times, I'm 
try a new place to throw a rattle trap out there, start to crank, it's already hung up. Yeah. I never got to move the lure. Yeah. <laughs> so you just got to, you know, it's going slow. So this is, is very cost effective. Um, this is a Berkeley uh, Power Bait Grass Pig. And so it's got a little bit of scent to it. I'm, people ask about scent. I know that stripers use scent. It hasn't been a big play in, in, in my game for this, but I always use a lure that is scented. It ain't, it's not going to hurt. It's right. not going right. to hurt. You know, yeah. put some gel in there or something like that, spray some gulp spray on it, whatever. Um, and I do use some gulp in, in the river as well. The problem is with gulp sometimes in the winter times, it'll, it'll be a little bit stiffer mm-hmm. uh, when it gets colder. Um, so, you know, you don't have to worry about pinfish, thank gosh. It's a good thing up there to worry about pinfish in the wintertime. But this bait right here is very cost effective, and, it, and it, I've caught a lot of fish on it. Catch a lot of fish on it. Yeah, I like a paddle tail as well. And there's a lot of uh, a lot of different paddle tails that work. Oh yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, it, it, the, I, the reason I like this one is it's a little bit more compact, a little shorter. And I feel like we're starting to catch those little fish. We'll catch the little fish and the big fish on this sure. one. Where some of the long ones are bigger. And don't get me wrong, these fish are gluttons. I mean, I've caught 14 inch um, stripers on six and seven inch baits. Yeah. no problem. Yeah, no problem. And had plenty of uh, bites and miss them as well. So I don't think you have to be. This is just uh, something that's. It's affordable and works for yeah, everybody. definitely, you know, definitely. You know, I mean, Hoagie makes some great baits too, but they, you just don't want to lose too many of them. Exactly, you know, that's, that's the thing. There is a in in my choice of baits is is also I think about what I'm going to lose. Yeah, and, and a lot of fisheries you don't, you're not worried about what you lose, but but some fisheries you are. And this one I have to I have to keep that in mind. What works and what are we going to lose less of that works as well, and what's cost effective. For but sure. but a but a good strong sharp hook is important because I don't care if it's a cheap hook or a good hook. They're both going to get hung up and get lost. But it is important when that fish bites. Check your hooks. If you get hung up, you know check that tip. Make sure it's not sharp. Old. When I when I run this weedless, I don't protect the tip of the hook with a rubber lure because that will actually you'll miss a bite. They'll bump it, and I I don't believe it'll swing. You want that that lure to be able to swing down. A lot of people don't understand is this hook looks like it's a very big hook, like it's oversized. It's considered a seven alt. But what's so important about having a bigger hook like this is is having that playing field. So when that fish hits, the lure can go down. So the hook's exposed. If the lure was not, if the, if the hook's too small and that lure can't go down, mm-hmm. fish is going to hit it and it's going to act like a weedless bait, but it can also be a, a fishless bait because it can't go down. So having that bigger playing field, some of these bigger bass swim bait hooks, I appreciate them because you don't get hung up anymore than you would with smaller ones, but when they bite, that lure can go down. They can push it down and your hook's exposed. You can hook them, and that yeah. has made a difference. I've actually gone to bigger hooks because the, the hookup ratio is better. Remember, I'm telling customers that don't always fish a lot. So any kind of any kind of a little bit more time for them to be able to set that hook, you know, it hangs in that fish's mouth for a little bit longer is important. And by going with a bigger hook with a swim bait is important. So you have that that swing that 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 play and field in there. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go take care of this dog real quick. Y'all keep it doing an interview. <laughs> Do you do you ever catch like catfish? Oh yeah, yeah. I catch catch redfish. I catch trout. I catch catfish. Most of the time when I catch catfish, it's a little later in the year. It seems like they show up in bigger numbers, um, lower river. You know, later than the stripers, especially getting into January, February, and early March. And I ca- I've caught some. I've caught some thirty plus. Even we caught one year. We caught a forty-one pound oh, um, blue cat, and we thought we were hung up. Customer said I'm hung. And he kept pulling, and it started moving. I thought, nah, it's a big old catfish. It was a big cat. So you catch some of those catch occasional redfish catch occasional trout but once it gets cold it's pretty much mostly stripers and occasional catfish when that water temperature gets into the lower 50s um i see the drum population and the trout population head on down river to find that warmer water mm-hmm. that the stripers will stay in the colder stuff that's interesting they so don't seem to the stripers don't seem to leave or move much when it gets colder they just seem to slow down on their bite a little bit they're gotcha. still there 
So talking about these baits, this is a question I had for you. For, for myself, it seems like striper fishing, I really just stick with three colors with soft plastic, mm-hmm. chartreuse, white, pink. Do you branch out from that much? Do you fish a lot of colors? Or? I, I do. I, my, probably my favorites are chartreuse, um, a white, um, or kind of silver white, a silver yeah. flake. I prefer to be more white, but there's a power, but they make a silver one, a silver flake that's like a it's silver, but it's not like bright silver. It's like soft plastic silver. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's a good one. And then another one I like also um, is called um, California. And it's a, um, it's kind of like a, a red and green speckle okay. with like a, almost like a black body, but it's got some brown. If you put it under light, it, it, it would be clear, but it takes okay. a lot of light. Yeah. And it's kind of the, 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 when the water's really pretty, I'll, you know, I'll go with, when it's really, really clear and pretty, I'll go to those natural looking baits that are closer to it. And when it gets stained up a little bit, we'll go a little bit brighter, which is a little bit of a flip flop than you would for, for, for other fishing, especially like saltwater for me. Yeah. Typically I use the brighter stuff in clear water and the not so bright stuff in stained water. But being this is tannic water, this water's brown. It's either brown and it's dirty or it's brown and it's clear. Um, those colors that match the water a little bit closer. And I'm not talking about, you know, uh, a turd brown lure, <laughs> but, right. but, 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 you know, new pennies, um, red flakes, you know, brown and red flakes, green red flakes, stuff that matches a little bit more, but still has that flash. Still, yeah. I love the glitter. I mean, I, everything's got some flash to it. I think yeah. it helps. Um, I'll go with those little darker colors and that water gets clear because it's kind of matching that. For because sure. it, it looks natural to them. Mm-hmm. One thing I've noticed fishing up there is like when, the water is dirtier. It is harder to fish and harder to catch fish, but they eat it so hard when it's dirty. Like when they see it, they, they want to kill they, it. They do, and I, I think they understand that it's. It, they, they know that they don't know when their next meal is going to come. Yeah. They haven't seen much, yeah, and so it's in their face. And no, you're right. The, the bite is the, the the catch is less, but the bite is more aggressive when For it's sure. uh, when it's dirtier. Sure. Absolutely. Would you, hey, slide that mic a little oh. bit. No, you're good. It's it's focusing on the mic. The camera's focused on the mic. Oh. Just a little closer to your face. Oh, okay. Yep, cool. There you go. There you go. Sweet. Would, cool. it, when it's really dirty, would it be? A, do you use topwaters more often? Well, I mean, topwater fishing for me personally is only when it's warm. Yeah. And, and I would yeah. say, honestly, for me, it's in it, upper 50s at the minimal. So I don't get to do a lot of that. You know, if, yeah. I, if we've had a mild winter, I will. But when it gets when it gets colder, um, when the water gets dirty, they seem to settle down a little deeper. And I'm not talking about they drop down to ten or twenty feet, but they just don't like to break that surface mm-hmm, for um, sure. For sure. Gotcha. And they and when when I do topwater fish, it's usually in typically for me it's going to be in November, late October, November, or May, um, yeah. late April, May, um, when those fish are kind of turning over. It's going to be early in the morning, low light conditions, and that water better be pretty. Yeah, uh, but yeah. if it's dirty, big old loud topwater. Big old loud top. Yeah. Honestly, you know, some, some uh, yeah, or, or even even top dog, like big, big, because it's really not the size of the lure; it's the the amount of splash and noise mm-hmm. it's making, yeah. and even some of the hybrids, the like the striper, northern striper lures, the the baby rattles with poppers. Yeah, yeah. You can't get too loud. Now, you can work it too fast. You want to be really loud with it in a short amount of distance. Let it pop, pop, pop. Yep. Let it sit for a second. You know, pop, pop, pop. Let it get real loud. Let it sit. Let them concentrate on it. It's not a constant, slow, monotonous work like a drum, just like covering area. You want to really get real loud and then pause. For sure. So you're not covering a lot of area, but you're making a lot of noise in a short amount of area. Yeah. It's gonna and it's gonna happen. You know, it's in a trout drum will hit that thing when you stop. These stripers really hit it when you stop. It's gonna be when you're getting loud, when you're not expecting it, mm-hmm. you're going bam, 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 boom, they'll just come out of the water and get yeah. it. It's really crazy because it's not a normal what you would have in your mind of a topwater bite. It's coming when you're just raking it across the top. One thing I've noticed too with the topwater, and I in college I got really into the striper fishing here. That's probably when I did the most of my striper fishing was was when I was at UNCW. But when you if you get one fish to eat a topwater plug, 
it seems like a lot, like some of my better days have been, you're, it's feast or famine. Like I've had some really good days where you get in an area to where one fish eats a top water and you can cover that. And, and typically I was getting a lot of bites and in, oh, in, in a zone of fish that were, you know, looking up or thinking about eating off the surface. And, and I'll tell you too, they also, uh, if you get a bite early in the morning on top water, it's usually going to be a good fishing day. And I found that if that top water bite slows down, you get a lure that gets just under the surface, a swim bait like this, yeah. um, and just get it just under the surface. They will come, follow it right up and eat it. Yeah. And those are usually better days. Let's, mm. let's dive into, I don't know if we did this, but with the swim baits and the hooks, let's just talk about weight for a second. The, the different weights that you like to fish. Is there one weight in particular? I, I fish mostly quarter, quarter okay. and three eighths. Quarter and three eighths. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, y- you can go heavier too. Um, but I, if I go heavier, I'm going to, I know I'm going to be fishing water at over six to eight feet deep. Most yeah. time I'm fishing, most time I'm fishing with these fish from two feet to 10 foot on average, just because I can get the lures to that efficiently. And feel and I feel confident in getting bites in yeah. that. Um, but if you go with a heavier one, you've got to make sure you keep it moving. And if you and if you go too heavy and, you, and you, if you're not keeping it moving enough, remember I'm trying to go as slow as I can. You might start getting hangs. Yeah. You start dredging the bottom. I love for this lure to rub the bottom. That's fine if it rubs the bottom, but I want it to rub the bottom efficiently, where it's you know it's, the weight is touching. That's yeah. it. So sometimes you get a little heavy, it starts to walk a little yeah, bit. But three eighths is probably my go to. Uh, warmer water conditions, quarter ounce. Yeah, I'm just letting it walk a little. So it's it, it's similar to, and I feel like every time I ask any any person we're interviewing this question, it's like as light as you can fish, but still be around the bottom well. Oh, exactly. Like, yeah, like yeah, you don't want it to yeah. be well. Yeah, my, just diving super yeah. hard to the bottom. Yeah, my, my my saying about anything weighted fishing wise, as much as you need, but as least you can get away with. Yeah, yeah uh, it just good. and that's even a sinker on a bottom rig. You know, you know, you don't. Mm-hmm. There's no reason to go loud and proud. It just you know get it out there and get it work. So as much as you need, at least you can get away with. Make small adjustments. Yeah, if you're using an eighth ounce and you don't feel like you're getting down there, don't go to three eighths. Go go to go to a quarter. Yeah, you know, make small adjustments. You know, three eighths and we're gonna go to half. Don't go to three quarter, um, and it makes a difference because you're still trying to make it look natural. You got to make it look For sure. good. For sure. Um, yeah, that, that's a good point. And so another thing that I've seen down there and I struggle with this is like fishing. Cause it seems like a lot of these striper on the bottom, but do you ever fish suspended style baits? Like where, cause a lot of times I'm, when I fish around the bridges and stuff like that, some of those fish are higher up off the bottom. Oh. Are those fish that you'll target? I don't target those very much. Yeah. I've had some scenarios where well, I was in open water, especially, um, in the spring and they're starting to gang up. Uh-huh. Um, and we've had scenarios where, um, and I think, I really think the scenario was the fish were following the fish we had on Okay. because I have netted twice in my life. I've netted big females and netted small males with them in the oh, spring. Oh, not even hooked? Yeah, just not even hooked. Right just there with them. Big landing uh-huh. net. I've used a bigger landing net in the winter because these fish roll so bad. Yeah. And I, I use a shallow, bigger one so they don't roll the hooks up so bad. Yeah. Um, and I've netted two small stripers in my life. I mean, this has been 15 years of 16 years of fishing, but twice <laughs> I have netted them and there's been a, a, a small male. That's a thing though. So, if oh, you've done it twice, it's oh, not a coincidence. Yeah. So what's happened is sometimes you know we've been we've been we've been fishing a spot and i'll be you know out and we'll get a fish on maybe a better fish i feel like a bigger female a bigger fish and i'll I'll take the troll motor and pull away from the structure just a little bit if there's some stumps in there so my customers don't break off because these fish fight really good yeah and i've had it where i'll run back there and you know tell customers hey go and reel your lines and we're gonna net this one because it's kind of you know if you're not catching a lot of fish you want to take your time and get that fish in for sure i tag the fish as well so and we want the turnover time to be quick get a photo and um we've been i've had customers burning baits in well off the bottom and boom get yeah, hit. Yeah. usually it's not that big of a fish it's usually smaller Small fish one. but i swear i think those fish are falling that that bigger fish in yeah. or just seeing what's going on you know they're they're together because when i mark these fish in the fish finder there's not just one you, you mark multiple fish sometimes so yeah. they're definitely they like to hang together for sure well we just had a question come in and we talked about this a lot in the pre-show 
and it was good. I was Cameron was asking some killer questions, and I was like, wait, 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 save those because we're gonna we're gonna forget if we ask those before or during the show is what <laughs> I was thinking. But we had uh, his name's Eric Bregman. He said, can you discuss the impact of Florence and the Cape Fear striper population? Yeah, and then with that, kind of go into you talked about some of the new. Um, the receivers, I guess, for the tagging. Yeah, listening stations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, listening stations. Yeah. So, you know, it's hard to tell, put a number, and I've heard anywhere from 40 to 60% loss in, in the Cape Fear River. Um, I, I would, I'm going I'm to lean towards lower than that because already I've seen quite a few fish caught off, caught some fish. We're not seeing as many big ones, but like we were talking about earlier, we're not really the big fish season. Typically for me, bigger bigger fish striper season is when it gets colder and a lot of this fish concentrate down river. So I'm, I'm going to lean on those terms of, of maybe 40%. The positives are we lost a lot of the big, a lot of the bigger catfish, a lot of the predator fish are going to eat the smaller stripers. Yeah. Um, so I think our turnover will be better in the next couple of years with a stocking. Uh, each year the Cape River gets between 50,000 50, and 100,000 uh, stage three babies, which are bigger, like uh, six to eight inch stripers. Okay. And so these fish, you know, a lot of other stuff eat them. The stripers eat them, the catfish eat them, bass eat them. We lost a lot of, uh, especially big catfish. You know, this is a lot of big flatheads and a lot of big blue cats that will eat those baby stripers. Um, died during this as well so you know talking to some of the biologists we think that it will be a quicker turnover which is a positive um, i've already caught quite a few stripers they haven't been a lot of big ones uh, 10 pounds some 10 pounders but a yeah. lot of uh, you know two to five pound fish so and i'm hearing way up the river castle hain northeast cape river up above number three between the locks and dams below Everywhere people are catching stripers. So, That's good. That's good uh, and, and the more I hear, um, and I'm, I'm talking to people way up the river, uh, all the way to Fayetteville and stuff, uh, some people that I talk to, I kind of keep in contact with what they're seeing the stripers are doing to kind of understand it as a whole. And so I'm not, all, all hope is not is not lost. Yeah. Um, I'm ready. I can't wait to get out there this river because this, this year, because last the, the river was never in good condition last winter. Right. We stayed in flood stage until till May in the river right. because we just kept getting rain. There was so much water draining from the biggest historical rain in North Carolina's eastern North Carolina's history. So I caught some fish last year. They were small and wasn't many of them because the water was dirty. I mean, there were times I went and I think we'd catch one and we'd get two bites and catch one. So I'm really excited this year. We've been in a drought, which is a good thing really in, in, in far as river terms go, to get out there and see you know, see the fish I see on the fish find or what I'm catching, you know, let things have settled out. Everything else, it seems like what I've seen the river, um, you could comment on this as too, is, is, is I want to say things are back to normal, but it's pretty amazing. The shrimp came back. Yeah. I was really about the shrimp cropping river this year because those stripers eat a lot of shrimp in the fall. I mean, you back in the day when these fish form earlier in the year in October, they would have shrimp tentacles hanging out of their mouth constantly. <laughs> and so I know it's an important thing. And the shrimp are back strong. The mullets are back strong. The menhaden are back strong. Um, you know, the gars are still in there in pretty good numbers, which isn't an indicator, but you know, they, they seem to not get hurt at all sure. by the, by the, uh, by the, by Florence. So yeah, we lost a lot of fish. I don't think it's as bad as we thought it initially was. I think we lost a lot of fish downtown Wilmington where the Cape Fear and the Northeast came together. I think it was a, you know, the, the low auction levels were terrible there for about two weeks. You know, we're talking like 0.3, uh, 0.1. Um, the river is typically anywhere from four to five in the summer wow. and, and, and six, point, point 0.6, uh, 6.0 or above in the winter. And we were down to 0.1 and 0.3 for over two weeks. Mm. Nothing can survive that. There, no. There's not nothing. I mean, nothing that, that, that breathes water, breathes, you know, air oxygen out of water can survive from that. So, um, I, I, I'm, I'm really excited about what's going to happen. 
Um, the state's starting to put their listening stations back out. And, and real quick, a listening station is a device that picks up the sonic tags that we put in stripers. Um, and so this will give us an idea because we only put sonic tags in bigger fish. Typically, fish that are over 24 to 26 inches. So we're talking those five, six pound fish, you know, some, or even sometimes even bigger. So these are the fish that are the moving fish. And what, what, we're, what we're excited about is getting the listening stations back out there to find out how many tags are left, how many bigger fish that have tags in them are out there and active. And that's going to, that's going to show some stuff as well. So the state started to put the listings, they pulled a lot of them out. A lot of them got messed up during the, during the hurricane, the high waters messed them up. So they're getting those back in the river. Um, we plan to start putting new sonic tags out as soon as hopefully this winter, but if not right after that. So we're going to start putting those uh, electronic tags back out and, uh, and just kind of get the ball turning towards the river again. Uh, a lot of the biologists I talked to are excited to get out there to see what's going on. Um, they go out there and shock the fish and then tag them. The problem is we've been in a drought and we're not getting a lot of rain and the high salinity levels makes it hard for the shock boat to work. It yeah. needs some electricity. Mm -hmm. So they're not having much luck, which they're not, they're not deterred because it's low numbers. It's just that's normal um, when you have high salinity for the gifts. Salinity doesn't affect us. High right. salinity is good for us because usually it's clear water because they had much rain. So I'm excited to get out there and, and, and see what's going on for sure. So – if they're putting hundred thousand stripers in the in the river every year, and even though Florence, you know, had a pretty big damper on the population, you would think that our striper population would be like exploding. Mm -hmm. So and we were talking about this a little bit earlier, but so do they, are they not able to breed? Are well, some of them able to breed? What's well, the, the the fish they put in there are sexually they're sexually they can be sexually active. They have they have the goods. <laughs> they they are built the to goods. reproduce. They're not sterile. Yeah. Um. But the problem is is the main thing is 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 the the natural old school you know historical spawning grounds are from roughly Fayetteville to Lillington, North Carolina, which is well above a locking dam number three. And so they can't get there. You've got two dams in front of them now. Dam number one, locking dam number one, does have rock arch weirs for the fish to swim over, but they are working on those now to make them more efficient. There's some new, some new technology coming out. It's going to be pretty cool that hopefully it's going to be using the river soon in the next couple of years where they're actually going to be able to scan the dam and actively see how the stripers are using the dam. So, so like trail cameras for fish. Eight, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So right now we can tell when a fish goes over locking in number one, if it has a, if it has, if it has a, a, a sonic tag and it yeah. has, has, has an electronic tag because we have listening stations at the bottom. We have before we can watch them go right up to it and over it or, or turn around and go back down river. Yeah. Uh, and when they were locking fish through, we could tell if they use a lock or if they use a rock weir, but now they're not locking fish through anymore. They want to, they want them to use the actual face of the dam and go yeah. over it naturally. But stripers, particularly like to go over in larger groups. And right now we're seeing smaller groups use it, which means they need to change the pool. When they, when, when this, when they were doing the rock weirs, the architect that does this, he's reward renowned for making these dams, building these dams for fish, but no dam, no river is, it's like a snowflake. No, no two are the same. Yeah. Every fishery is different. And he said, we're going to make this. He said, I guarantee they're going to work. They're going to work when we do this. He said, but they might not work efficiently. He said, they're going to need adjustments, pool adjustments, bigger pools, smaller pools. And what they found out, the data so far, is the pools weren't big enough. So small groups are going over, but not large groups. You want those large beating group, groups to get up river together for, for more higher production spawn. Gotcha. So the idea is, you know, long story short is 
get the get number one right. It's continue being you know engineered architect so it's better. Get the scanning data in there. Get a lot of these tag these fish tags. So when they are using it, we can tell how they're using. It. Okay, well they they're going over this way. And they're stopping here and they're turning around. They don't like something here. You know, layman's terms. We got to find out what's why. Use this data. Once number one is working efficiently as as as, as the the biologists and engineers think they can, then number two and number three will be built the same way or very close to it. Yeah. And the and the idea now is that number two and number three will be done at the same time to save time and money. All the equipment will be on the ground ready to go, um, so they can do them at the same time. But we got to get number one right first. Yeah. It, it, it's it's very frustrating. You just want to snap your fingers and get it done. And it's been a very long process. I've been watching this process go on now for over ten. Years um, really, where the last ten years, where it's really started to move forward and get get some you know some publicity and people thinking about it, and lots of different organizations getting together and raising money and getting it done. And it's been slow, but we've seen a lot of strides. We've learned a lot about these fish that we didn't know ten years ago, and I think we just keep doing that. Now there is some we, we they, they the biologists feel there is some natural spawning happening up in the Northeast Cape for River as well. The problem is is there's just that we know of right now, we don't know of any real native spawning ground up there that would be good for stripers. There probably is. They have found some small uh, fish up there that were probably, and some some tests have to be done, some fin clips, genetics have to be done to find out if those fish are naturally spawned in the river. They feel pretty sure by the time of the year they caught them, the size they caught them, that they were not released fish. More studies got to be done, but we need to get more listing stations up in the Northeast because yeah. we've really ignored the Northeast. And we have listing stations, but they're up only but so far. Then the fish go past there during spawning. A couple weeks later, come back down. Well, it's right when the other fish are going up the Cape Fear, so obviously they're going on a spawning run. Mm-hmm. So we need to know where those fish are going. So there again, it takes money to buy listing stations oh, yeah. to do that more. So we're just it's, it's a great learning curve, but we're learning, you know. Well, we had a good question here from Nick and another one from Justin Trujillo, who fishes the river a lot. Um, but Nick said, very uh, controversial question, but I've got to ask it. Is there any total – that's not the one I was reading. Let me read this one first. From Ken, all fish have different frequencies of sonic tags. So you can track – or do they have different frequencies? Can you track individual fish? Um, yes, yeah, okay. yeah. So, so a, a real short – the way a tracking – a listing station works, it sends out um, – they, they last about two to four years. The tag lasts about two to four years, um, and it, it's a scenario of water temperature. You know, if it gets real cold, they don't last as long. It's usually about average of three years for the Cape River Striper. And when they go past a listening station, it records um, the time of day, the, the date, the time of day, and then a, a number. It's a, n- a number. Okay. And that number has already been logged in. A, that This was the 26-inch striper that was caught during Striper Fest, and we put a sonic tag in it. Now, there are some um, – uh, these are some of these bigger biologists, technicals, the, the uh, bio-trimity uh, – um, tags. Sounds good to me. Um, and it's their depth, essentially their depth tags. Okay. And we're starting to put more in those are in the fish, which is going to be some of that scenario they use on the lock and dam, where when the fish goes by, it it will um, record in listening station the average depth, greatest depth and shallowest depth that fish has been in the last, say, 30 days or 10 days or five days. Wow. To know where these fish are traveling, where they're hanging at, because we don't really know that. I mean, I've caught these fish as deep as 20 feet, and I've caught them as shallow as on a topwater plug. Right. So it's it's just, it's you know, what does that answer? We don't know, but it's going to be more data that helps out. Sure. And that's going to be some of the stuff that's happening more. These, 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 these uh, tags that will actually record the depth they've been. And I don't know exactly how many days back, but it's a, you know, a month or two weeks of, of their shallowest depth, their deepest depth, their average depth before that. And when they go by, it records on the listing station. So it's, but now keep in mind that this is another thing that's slowing this process down is once a month, the state biologists have to go out there, 
pull up the listening station, hook a USB up to it in a laptop, and download all the information. If there's 50 daggone listening stations, that's going to take a couple weeks to do every every one yeah. of them. So it's, it's like very it's, it's it's very <laughs> slow. People, it's like, you know now yeah they have receivers that you can hook these things to a cell phone, and as soon as a fish goes by. They get a text message, but guess what? Those aren't cheap, and you couldn't put. It'd be very expensive to put them all. But but the ones at the Lock and Dam will are going to do that. They have, and okay. they're going to do that. So that that real important data going using the Lock Rock Weirs is going to be. We're going to get that data a little quicker. They're going to put some of those that will actually get it, or if they don't, they're going to be checking them weekly. The ones that are in deeper water and stuff. Okay. Well, that's cool. Yeah. So this controversial question was, and, and you don't have to answer this if you don't want to. But is there any scientific data that shows how many striper are lost to gill nets in that river per year? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and I know there's, there's, there's definitely some gill net action down there, especially around the, the lock, um, not the lock dam, especially down uh, towards the um, um, ports, yeah. um, especially, uh, especially during trout season and stuff and mullet season as well. Um, that's a good question. And I don't know the answer to that, but I, that's, I have, you know, I've, in the past I've talked to some of the biologists about that. Um, and it definitely, I'm sure it's happening, but I don't know to what it, at what extent. What extent yeah. yeah, what extent. Those fish generally are together a little bit worse in numbers in the fall, November, Oct- October, November. Usually December, they start to start to push out a little bit when it gets colder because the trout push out, so usually the nets aren't as bad. Um, but I know, man, down there around the the, uh, the the Brunswick River, the Brunswick River mouth, all that area, you do see that. I talked to a lot of the guys that shad fish up at the lock and dams in the spring and they're running the shallow run nets on the surface. And, and I watch them all the time and they don't seem to catch many stripers every once in a while they'll catch one. But for the most part, those, those seems like those shad nets just, you know, they're, they're surface nets. Yeah. They don't go down that deep. I believe that's the way it works. They don't catch too many. I'm, I'm sure they catch some every once in a while, but for the amount of stripers I've seen up at that lock and dam number one before when those guys were shad fishing, you think they'd catch more and you just don't see that many. Yeah. But I will say this, most of the time when the shad's good, the stripers aren't there. When the shad starts to slow down, the, sh- the, the, um, the stripers start to show up when it's a little bit warmer. Okay. Typically it's that March, April shad scenario, late April, especially in May when the, the stripers really show up at the lock and dams. Gotcha. gotcha. Do you gotcha. ever live bait fish? I don't. I know a lot of old timers that do and done very well with it. The problem is access to live bait in the wintertime. Yeah. Um, I feel like you got to cover area. And I've seen guys down there with goldfish and marshmallows <laughs> and everything do pretty right. well on them, but I just don't ever see them catch really big fish. Yeah. And, and I know there's probably some old timer listening to this right now going, oh, I've caught big ones on I'm sure you can catch big ones on live bait. But I've yeah. seen the, the most times I've seen somebody do well on live bait in the river, fishing around them, they've done really well on numbers. Um, but not bigger fish. And I like that thump. I mean, yeah. you know, don't get me wrong. If I could do that instead of trolling with kids, I would for sure. Because <laughs> yeah. seeing a bobber drop down or they could feel that bite and start reeling, that'd be awesome. But Yeah, it almost seems like power drifting with like a with a float rig with some weight down a bank. You're probably just begging to hang up. Yeah, it's, it's that, <laughs> there's, that, there's that, that double standard. Right, you know, right. What's going to happen? <laughs> well, we're we're honestly, we're at over an hour already, okay. which is crazy. I mean, we, we, we can keep going – We've got a giveaway that we're going to do. Jot brought some pretty cool stuff. We'll let him go to that. But is there any last, you know, stuff you want to touch on? If if someone's going to go try to do some striper fishing next week, what do they need to, you know, any last little closing thoughts? Yeah, cover area. Try to find that pretty water. Yep. Um, and water temperature-wise, I've caught these fish as low as, now not good numbers, but I have caught them as low as is 36-degree water. 
on some colder winters we've had. Mm. But now that's been like during striper fish where we had to fish, and I would not go – if I went down there with 36, I would not fish. <laughs> um, but for me, I see the best bites usually from, from 60-degree to 40-degree water temperature. And it's, a really, it's really broad. But for me, is if it's if it's in the 40s or in the 50s, I, I'm pretty happy with it. Once it gets down below 42 to 40, it's hard to catch them. Yeah. It really does. It, it really does. Okay. And, and and usually that for most winters, that's into February and early March. You know, later January, March. Now, a couple winters ago, we had a really mild winter. I, I crushed them in February before we had the hurricane. I crushed yeah. them in February. But the water temperatures were flirting in the upper 40s or 50s mm. all winter long. Yeah. Typically, that's what you're seeing in the in the late fall, early winter. And, and early spring to okay. early summer. You know? Gotcha. Yeah. I, I, I was going to say, well, I think one of the biggest tips that, that will help me is how you're working that bait because I'm so used to twitching baits, twitching them, and especially in the river, I didn't want it on the bottom because yeah. I'm so worried about yeah. losing my lure. Yeah, yeah. Ju- just, that, just rod tip low, and, and honestly, I reel just about as slow as you can reel, but you got to keep it moving. You cannot mm-hmm. stop. If you stop, it's going to turn on its side and get hung up. But if yeah. you're pulling it along, it's, and I tell my customer, it can rub the bottom. You know, and they'll get all excited at first. But I'm telling you, I'm telling them, you, you, when you get a bite, you might miss something. You're going to go, okay, that was a bite. That was not the bottom. Even if it gets hung up a little bit, you get excited. But as soon as you get hung up, you're like, wait, that, that wasn't a bite. Because a bite's going to be proactive. Mm-hmm. It's going to be that thump. So I just keep the rod tip low to the water. And just slow reel and just keep it rubbing the bottom. If I'm working a crankbait or something, like I said, I don't mind if it hits the bottom. And the good thing is about the floating crankbait scenario is because they float, is you can stop for a second. If you start feeling it rub the bottom a lot, you can stop and let it float up some and keep going again. Now, if you keep rubbing that crankbait on the bottom, rubbing the bottom, you're going to get hung up. It's not if, it's it's when. It's going to happen. (laughs) So I will stop and let it float up a little bit then start again. Now, Mm -hmm. if it constantly rubs the bottom, I'm using too deep of a crankbait. Hitting the bottom every once in a while, like at the the deepest of the cast maybe, but if it's constantly rubbing, I'm having to constantly stop. Remember, if you're having to constantly stop and it's floating up, you're not moving the lure, you're not going to get a bite. They like the lure moving. They want that vibration. So so kind of tune those crankbaits. You know, they make crankbaits easy to tune because i mean you, you got one to two foot two to five foot three i mean every company makes so many because they're so popular bass fishing I mean, yeah. you can pick one that'll go to a depth so keep that in mind if it's rubbing the bottom constantly you're gonna lose it yeah save up uh, about four hundred dollars and then you can go buy two of every <laughs> every bait yeah yeah I mean, it, like, I mean i mean it's it's amazing that how many literally how many lures i've i've lost in that river um, <laughs> i've gotten better more fishing about it and i've learned also that when you get hung up don't yank on it you, you know, I tell my customers if they feel if they feel a bite and they set the hook and it's not it's a bottom hook, come tight. Okay, stop, stop jerking. Yeah. You keep jerking and go bury the hook because when you first get hooked up, if you can take your boat and go around the other side, and if it's you know hung on this side and you come on the other side of it and give it a good yank, a lot of times you get It'll it back. You get it back when you can. But if you or that customer keeps yanking on it, thinking they're going to get it back, you're going to bury it in there so much, or you're going to break the line either way. You're going to lose the lure for sure. So as soon as you you feel it come tight, go loose slack line. Cruise up there, get on the other side of the uh, of the uh, of the hang, and I mean, make sure you're on the other side of, and then come tight. And when you start with a line, give it a good hard jerk, and sometimes 50-50, <laughs> you'll you'll get it back. <laughs> but don't go down with just five hooks, five slim bait hooks. <laughs> right. I'm telling you, you'll lose them all the first hour, and you'll be done. <laughs> I will say that at Intercoastal Angler, and I always thought these were kind of a joke. It's like that hound dog or whatever it's called. It's like this heavy weighted lead. Oh yeah, you know, it's got oh, the yeah. Rings, retriever. The retriever. Yeah, 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 absolutely. My, yeah, Ben Chesney. I was fishing with him one day, and he had one. He had broken off a of baitcaster rods, so he just 
sawed it off, made it short, and had that as like his his uh, retriever rod. And every time we hung up that day, he would send that thing down there. It's like you tighten your line up, and then you clip that onto the line and let that go down from another rod, and it would knock the bait off. Yeah. And, get it and I will tell you this too, tackle wise, um, I go with a little bit heavier rods and reels, eight to fifteen pound class or ten to seventeen because of that. I want to be able to set that hook hard. Yeah, and I always use braid with the current and the depth. Uh, less drag and, in the current. And less drag and also filling that bite, you know, sometimes. Oh, yeah. It braid just pays off tremendously. And honestly, you have a better chance of getting your back with braid than you do with mono. Um, I used to have one of those hound dogs on the boat, but two years ago, and I haven't got another one, is I sent it down there and it got hung it up. Got hung I, up. I lost the lure and the rig. And I'm telling you, it was on, it was on, I had rope tied to it, you know, like, Did you really? like, like twine. I tied it to the boat, put the boat gear, and it broke the twine. <laughs> so now I got a lure in. So that was a forty dollars hole. That was right some there. rebar right there, probably. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. But that doesn't happen very often. But I don't have one right now because of that happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's that's funny. Yeah, those hound dogs. I, I don't I don't own one either, but I think I'm gonna buy one. I'm about yeah, to no, for, for there. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it can it could definitely save you some some time and money for sure. I've had one. I need to get another one. It's one of those things you think about it when you're on the boat, but you go to the tackle shop. And then you're back on the boat and said, ah, damn, I didn't buy one. For I, sure. I've done that. I've done the, t- I'm going to shack it up three times in a row and I had something I need to have to finally write it down because I finally need it. <laughs> <laughs> and I will say, like you were saying, a, a heavier duty rod. And with those, with those bigger swim bait hooks like that, I like something really stout. Cause like you fish, you know, your little redfish rod or trout rod and you try to swing and, and bury that hook in a striper's mouth. I've had Good so many luck. friends go with me and bring a yeah. trout rod, and, and, and they get they get the same amount of bites I get, but they don't yeah. get the same amount of hookups. So yeah. I like that medium, minimal, even medium heavy, medium yeah. heavy, 10 to 17 pound class deal. You don't have to go as big reel. Still using 2500s and 3000 size. Um, I like a 15 pound braid. I go a little heavier than a lot of people, but I'm fishing customers that don't pay attention. <laughs> um, but the heavier rod is definitely, um, and you don't have to go the long rod. I use a 6.6 six sometimes my customers um, for, for that that little bit of a little bit more weight, you mm-hmm. know, since Tennessee's not there, fish bites, you're going to fill them. Right on. Well, um, I will let you take away the, the giveaway. Sorry, I accidentally opened the comment up onto the, uh, onto the screen there, <laughs> but, but uh, if you want Jot, Jot brought a, uh, a pretty awesome giveaway for y'all. So here it is. Yeah. We got a plain old Z series, 3,600 tackle bag. And also in here, this holds five 3,600 stowaways, but I have put replaced, um, Three of the five, and there's three restrictor um, any rust stowaways in there. So um, great bag, waterproof, nice bottom here. Doesn't leak, has anti-slide. I use I use one of these for my terminal tackle box. I have a little bit bigger one for my lures. I love these things, man. They're they even look pretty good too. But I like that hard bottom too. It's yeah, got the hard some foam pads on great. there. Yeah, it's got the pads on it. And if you know if you're on a kayak or a smaller boat, it's got clips so you can clip it for it doesn't go anywhere. But uh, this is a good, um, you know. It, no frills industrial no zippers so <laughs> nothing 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 to get my, nothing to get stuck most um, tackle but, bags are going to those clips now yeah i mean it's just it, it it makes sense i mean it's been it frustration is important as a fishing guide or an angler yeah <laughs> the fish can be frustrating enough you don't want you don't want to fight your tackle exactly <laughs> exactly well guys uh thank you all for tuning in we're going to do this giveaway now but it, uh, i forgot to say this in the beginning i've been a little nervous with doing this, this is my first episode without billy but um share this if y'all enjoyed it it definitely helps us out uh kind of growing and finding some new viewers and uh it's just the most helpful way also if you go to our instagram page and follow us on instagram you can kind of keep up we're a little more uh you know dialed in on on keeping the instagram updated and one more big thing that helps us out a lot is if you do listen to the podcast or if you don't if you go rate us 
hopefully a five-star rating. If not a five-star, you know, that's all we've gotten is five-star rating so far. So <laughs> Let's keep I'd it hate for you to be the first person to give us – now someone's going to go in there and give us a one-star because I said that. Please don't. But, <laughs> we uh, love you, one-star. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Best podcast ever, one-star. But it just helps us out a lot. So if you can go give us a rating on, on uh, iTunes, that would be killer. But, yeah, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a random selection here. Caleb Barber. So Caleb Barber just won the uh, the giveaway. Hey, Captain Jot, how do you like the Plano Edge? He had actually asked about the Plano Edge. <laughs> hey, yeah. So I scrolled up to his comment. That's that's pretty, Now you can know for yourself, Caleb. There you go. <laughs> so well, awesome, John. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And Cameron, killer job. Uh, I'm going to switch to the uh, to this camera here for a second. You guys, uh, thank you all for, uh, for tuning in. Me and Cameron are going to be the face of Eastern Current from here on out, and I'm sure we're definitely going to have Jot back on. Um, no doubt. Plenty of times. Great guy. He's got a ton of information, and uh, he, he answers questions really well. And I, I feel like I, I wanted to open this notepad here and be taking notes today, but it got me fired up to striper fish again. I'd been a little yeah, you know, down and out after the hurricane. <laughs> I didn't fish at all last year and uh, excited to do it this year. So you're going – you're not fishing the striper tournament, but no. everyone else is going down, especially Jamie. Jamie, I'm going to crush you this year. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Jamie, Man, it's, uh, oh, I just – I hope it, the weather, if the weather stays right, it's going to be great. It I mean, should be. Uh, you know, uh, and, and just real first, striper fest is the 27th and 28th of March. Okay. Uh, the Friday evening banquet, if you come to the banquet, is the 27th that evening, and then uh, tournament is on the 28th of March this year. Um, 28th so of March. usually – Pretty good fishing time of the year. For I really like late March down yeah. there myself, so it's pretty good. Yeah, I'm excited. And we, we had been doing it in January. In yeah, yeah. Time, last so. year we did it March. You know, we did it, We started last yeah. year in March, but it was the hurricane, so it really didn't matter. <laughs> A couple of fish were caught, but, uh, but it really didn't matter. But, it's, uh, you know, mid-January is tough. Um, and it's hard to have something before Christmas, you know, everybody's wide open right now. So, yeah. so we decided to go to March and, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm awesome. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the event and, and it's just, it's growing every year. All the money goes to the river. All the money goes to the river. So yeah, it's an awesome event. Yeah. I mean, you can come hang out the morning of, but also the night before the, the, the get together and the, the meal. What, what is the, yeah, the actual banquet? banquet yeah. Yeah. The well, yeah. I mean, we, we buy tags, we buy sonic tags, we buy listening stations, we do water quality studies, um, all kinds of money comes out of that um, for the river, and, yeah. and and all the money from the tournament itself goes to the Cape River Striped Bass Foundation, which goes a hundred percent to the fishery. Um, so it's yeah, it's, it, it it raises really good funds that have helped a lot to jumpstart um, this fishery restoration plan. Yeah, it's a great way, you know, just by coming to the dinner and paying to come to the dinner, it's a great way to help out the community here and or, or great, help out the, the fishery. So, yeah, some great uh, um, silent auction, live auction yeah. items as well. Yeah, yep. awesome. CapeRiverWatch.com. Well, cool guys. Well, thank y'all for tuning in. I think this was episode 27, but we will see y'all next week. Um, again, thanks later.